And I shoot my shot, it's the compile where it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a fuck. I hit that Janobi with my left hand all like, woo! Bitch, you weren't with me shooting in the gym? Wrong night, I perform like Mike. Anyone, Tyson, Jordan, Jackson, action. James Harden with the range on me, nigga, way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine search. And you can live through anything if magic made it. What up, my fellow Nick fans? This is your guy, Marcellus Ease. And don't panic quite yet. Now, before I get to my weekly quick hits, I want you guys to check out the description below. I will be hosting a live draft call-in show Thursday, July 29th at 8.30. So you guys definitely check it out. You can give me a call up. We can talk about the next season, what you guys think of different scenarios that are playing out. And we can also take a look at other teams and their draft picks, aka we could watch the Minnesota Timberwolves fuck up another draft pick together. So definitely check out the link below. It'll have all the information you need to call in. And that is the main purpose of the show, to hear from some of you fellas on your thoughts on what's going on with the squad. So on draft night, definitely come through. Don't be afraid to drop your two cents and let me know what's good. So this offseason is approaching vastly quick and the Knicks pretty much are going to be walking on a tightrope, doing sort of a balancing act because they got to try to keep the team competitive to attract future free agents. But at the same time, the other side of the balancing act, they can't dig in too deep because this offseason doesn't really have a deep roster of just great free agents that can really change our team. And next offseason, 2022, the free agency list is incredible. And this is where I'm going to touch base on the Colin Sexton rumor that the Knicks are interested in making a trade for him. But the main issue with him is that he will be extension eligible for 2022. And I'm not sure if the Knicks want to dig that far deep into the cap to extend him over some of the potential game-changing free agents that will be available in 2022. So I'm just looking into the player archetype of Colin Sexton. He's a volume scorer. He doesn't pass as much, but he is something that we do need, a guy who can make a play on his own, who can create his own scoring lane. It's something we definitely do need. But Cleveland always had a funny way of saying that they don't want somebody. We've seen it play out with Kevin Love and other various players that came out of their team. And they clearly don't want to extend Sexton. So the Cavs don't have that much leverage in making a trade like this. This is looking like it's a salary dump move by Cleveland. But at the same time, they're trying to gain some assets. It would make sense for the Knicks to give up either their 19th or their 21st pick for this year's draft for Sexton. But at the same time, the kicker is that extension for 2022. I'm not sure him being so close to that player extension is the situational play we need to make right now he's a 6-1 combo guard not really a point guard because of his passing skills i believe he's labeled a point guard because of his height but he plays more like a shooting guard but in today's nba there's a lot of guys playing at the point guard position but they're not necessarily true point guards the only thing they do share that are similar is that you do need a dynamic playmaker at that position especially in today's nba 
So Sexton will kind of check off that box for the time being as far as an upgrade at that position in correlation to today's NBA. Because as Knicks fans, that's something we tend to not even notice or even talk about is that we need to get more relative to today's league because we're kind of stuck on the past sometimes on how our teams look like when they were successful. We had guys that were very defensive minded. They were scrappy. But at the same time, that worked back then. But the league now is so different with all the rule changes. Teams that dominate now tend to have a stretch five, a stretch four, at least one guy on the perimeter that can make consistent threes, a point guard that's not necessarily a point guard, but more of a playmaker on his own. He can get his own points. And at the same time, the league changed the rules so much as far as how assists worked that regular guys could get over five assists because assists now count as players catching the ball, making one or two moves and getting a shot off still counts as an assist. So subconsciously, a lot of the fan base, and I include myself in it, we always tend to love the players that look like how the players did in the past because we've seen it work. We've seen the team become successful off of it. But in today's NBA, a lot of that stuff will no longer work. It's almost like the Nick fan favorites don't really fit into today's NBA as well as they used to. And you see it sort of play out with the Frank Nilakina hide. They love that player archetype. But at the end of the day, we see that that player archetype, even on a high level, aka Ben Simmons, it doesn't really work out long term, especially going against high level teams deep in the playoffs in today's NBA. So going back to Colin Sexton, he does check off the box as being a playmaker, especially at the point guard position in today's NBA. He can get his own shot off. He can create for himself, which is really important at that position. Let's also keep in mind he has played in dysfunctional Cleveland and especially this season we've seen guys who left one system and went to another especially with coaches coaching guys up aka Tyron Lue and Monty Williams. We've seen guys like Cameron Payne get coached up. DeAndre Aiden definitely got coached up this season. He's definitely a lot better and especially guys like Reggie Jackson we see him thriving with the Clippers. And that is shout out to Tyron Lue and Coach Monty Williams. So guys definitely could change teams and change systems and thrive in another. So the Knicks just giving up a draft pick for a guy like Colin Sexton. And possibly we could use him as almost a safety net in case we don't land any free agents in 2022. At least we can still re-sign him, especially if he thrives in a Thibodeau system. So also guys getting coached up, let's not forget about that because we've seen it play out, especially in the 2021 season. Speaking on other things that are rumbling throughout the league, of course, we're hearing about Damian Lillard potentially wanting out of the Portland Trailblazers. And then, of course, Dean being Dame going back on it, saying that he doesn't want to leave Portland, but he's sort of tippy-toeing around that loyalty branding that he's been using to brand himself over the past few years. But in my view, this is all cap. He's definitely gonna request out of Portland, most likely after the Olympics are done. Maybe he doesn't want all this media heat while they're down there trying to win a medal because it will be difficult for them to do so with all these rumors becoming a major distraction for the team. And you guys could definitely check out my other channel, Orange Cookies. I have a series in which I've been chronicling since two seasons ago Damon CJ, a duo that's on the clock because I knew their time was running out 
and it's definitely ran out and the hiring of chauncey billups and the sort of miscommunication of dame saying that he never really wanted billups to become the coach that's pretty much his out card of getting out of portland but going back to our beloved knicks if they do want to make a trade for dame they will have to sacrifice a lot of picks and that will unfortunately include rj barrett i know a lot of knicks fans won't like that but he will be included in that trade along with a ton of picks and that is the cost of acquiring superstars right now you look at the anthony davis trade the paul george trade and most importantly that drew holiday trade the fact that the pelicans were able to get three first round picks for drew holiday that changed the whole landscape of acquiring players and then you saw what james harden went for so this is the cost of acquiring stars you pretty much got to gut out your whole team and to be honest with you, there are other teams that have a much better position in acquiring Dame. You look at teams like the Miami Heat, the Denver Nuggets, the Dallas Mavericks, the Los Angeles Lakers, and especially, if they're smart, the Phoenix Suns. They have a lot of guys coming up on contracts. I don't think they could afford to keep all those guys. And they definitely could make a move to upgrade their point guard position by getting a guy like Dame. So there are other teams in a lot better position than the Knicks would, especially if the Knicks gave up a lot of their assets, they would pretty much be depleted. So once again, we have to look at the landscape. We have to look at the cost of acquiring stars right now in today's climate. And it requires a lot of draft picks and a lot of assets. But I wouldn't underestimate Leon Rose because if he does pull off a move like this to get a guy like Dame, best believe he's probably got a second trade on the back end to make this deal make sense especially with all the connections that he has across the league with various front office people and players so we cannot underestimate leon rose in a situation like this that it won't be a double trade like it'll be two moves to make this whole thing make complete sense because in last year's draft i tell you that they were working them phones like crazy to not only move up in picks but they were also making moves with multiple teams. So we've seen how far Leon Rose's connections could go. Now, Larry Johnson has sat down recently with Q Richardson and Darius Miles in their podcast, Knuckleheads. You guys should definitely check it out. Great stuff on there. I'll leave a link in the description below. But he sat down and spoke about his Nick moment that happened over 22 years ago with the four-point play and how it's still paying dividends even to this day. Now, potential free agents pay attention because Larry Johnson wasn't even a Nick that long. But the fact that he's still eating to this day and making money off of something that happened years ago, it shows you the power of being a Nick. Now, Larry Johnson is going to touch base on what happened during that four-point play, and you guys check it out. So, so tell me, speaking about that, like the legendary play, tell me about that four-point play. That's one of the yeah. biggest plays and a yeah, legendary like play in Knicks history. You know, it's a beloved play by all the fans. Like, take me through that in your mind. And my main man, shout out to, shout out to uh, Ben Lyons. He wants to know what did Chris Child say to you when he grabbed you after you yeah. had Well, first thing, Chris, calm the fuck down, bro. You got a free throw. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> <laughs> There was no calming down. That garden was rocking. Just looking at some of the highlights, even on YouTube, the garden is just insane. That is definitely a garden moment. There you have it, being live and exclusive. Straight point guard. Straight point guard. What you doing? What the fuck you doing? 
being a general. And you know, the play was for, um, I was like the third option. The, the first option was Allen. The second option was uh, Sprewell. And I was sending them two picks. Now, I was the center at the time. We went right. small ball. We went small ball because we needed, you know, uh, Jeff wanted to put somebody, all three-point shooters on the court. Yeah. So we went small ball, and I sent them two picks. And they were bullshit picks, fellas. I barely did <laughs> this because I wanted to rock. I really right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't that something we always take basketball time? They gonna set the pick, so he ain't over. I'm to the ball. I'm to the ball. If you watch it, you go, man. That's a bullshit pick. <laughs> and pop straight to the rock ball. Straight up. Uh, but I, I really wanted. I, my confidence was up. Thibodeau was our assistant coach that year, and Thibodeau was my shooting coach. Shout out Tibbs. Um, Thibodeau. Ain't that some crazy shit, Tibbs? He, <laughs> it's always said that he's not an offensive guy. But yeah, he was a Knicks shooting coach. Everybody, he got this start in the NBA with Coach Tarkanian. Coach Tarkanian coached San Antonio for like three months, and Thibodeau was his assistant. So Thibodeau and Coach Tark was real close. So when Thibodeau, I didn't know that. Yeah, when Thibodeau came to the Knicks, he just, I'm your shooting coach. Come on, come on, come on. Mm. Tim and I had a great, great week, great two weeks. I knew I would hit that shot, man. You know when you roll it and you know you let it go, you want it? Yeah. That's how I felt, bro. That's how I felt. I know I was gonna hit it. I can never say I've been in there when it's been a feel-good moment like that. I've been for some cool ones, but not something like that. I know that place had to be straight electric. I'm still living on it. Right. <laughs> I'm still eating on it, fam. I'm still eating on it. That's why I like, I say I love New York, because it is a sports town, sports city, and they let you live when it's like that, man. They still still show you that respect. But it was great. I had my three sons there at the time. So my three oh, sons that's, experienced that's the right yeah. that's, that's yeah, amazing. experienced the whole experience with me, man. They was there. We kicked. Um, you know how it is. We went out. I went out that night. I went out that night. <laughs> Jimmy's in the Bronx. Y'all don't know nothing about Jimmy's in the Bronx. Oh, yes, I do know that. Jimmy's, Jimmy's in the Bronx. How about Jimmy's in the Bronx? I was the host of Jimmy's in the Bronx that night. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I love it. It was, it was crazy. And, and to this day, when I see it, you know, it brings back, it brings that back. That's that's crazy. That's a message to all these young boys and these free agents out there. Like, this man, he wasn't even the main man. He was a staple, a hard worker, and he say he's still living off and still, living. still eating off that one shot, man. Listen, y'all. Hey, them think. Knicks look good this year, Julius Randle, man. Think about they them coming. New York cities. Them they, New York cities, They coming boy. this year, man. Them boys looking like they ready. Them young boys playing hard over there for Tears, man. Shout out to Tears oh, Tears got that thing going in the right direction for sure. Him, Leo, Leon, shout out Worldwide, Worldwide. Uncle West. Straight up. Yeah, they bring it back. They doing a good job. I'm, I'm a Tib fan, so I ain't got no, I ain't got no, nothing, nothing bad to say about them right now. Like you said, as long as they playing hard, they gonna be loved. Yeah, and that's for sure. And Q Rich, man, definitely an, another former Nick. He already knows. So you guys see what it is. Larry Johnson was not even the main guy. He was towards the end of his career when he was on the Knicks. He had his moment over Sprewell in Houston, and he's still living off of it today. Just like Hugh Rich said, potential free agents pay attention because being a Nick is one of one. And there was only one Lynn Sanity, and that was in New York. He tried to go elsewhere and duplicate it, and it did not work. So the Frank Nilakina Hive saw the highlights of Frank practicing with Team France right before the Olympics. And of course, they were like, look how nice he is. Oh, baby. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> Holy shit. The Frank Nilakina fan base is very toxic, man. Come on. 
fuck, bro. First of all, before I get into it, you guys should definitely check out how I broke down how European basketball, when guys come up, how that whole system works. And it kind of gives you an insight on how Frank Nilakina came up from his childhood all the way to him making the NBA and what kind of system these guys go through in Europe, how it's very different from the US system. So I'll link that video in the description below. Okay. <laughs> you guys gotta understand, Frank Nilakina should be thriving while playing for the French national team. First of all, a lot of the national teams that play in the Olympics don't keep switching in and out of players like Team USA does. A lot of their guys have multiple Olympics under their belts and their teams pretty much stay consistent. You can even look at Luis Scola. This is about to be his fourth Olympics playing for his national team. So Frank Nilakina, even at his young age, has a lot of history of playing with the guys that are on the team. So the chemistry is already on point. And that history extends all the way back to their days in youth academy. And second of all, there's a lot of players past and present who always thrive under Olympic basketball because it goes according to rules they're already accustomed to, aka Manu Ginobili. He was looking like an all-star in the 2004 Olympics as he led Argentina into the gold medal. You could also look at Carlos Arroyo in the same Olympics and he was looking like Allen Iverson out there. Matter of fact, he was actually killing Allen Iverson and Stephon Marbury while doing his best impersonation of them. And of course, more recently, Patty Mills for Team Australia. He's a role player in San Antonio, but in international play, this guy is looking like an all-star. But once again, these guys should be somewhat thriving in international play because not only they built up chemistry with the same guys from youth league all the way on to them becoming professionals, but also because the rules of international play is something that they're accustomed to. For example, instead of the games being 48 minutes under NBA rules, they're 40 minutes. Also, you allow to goaltend to a certain extent during international play. There's no defensive three seconds. And most importantly, this throws off a lot of American players. You have to dribble before you make a move. I had a friend of mine that went overseas to play basketball and he struggled a lot with that. He told me that was the hardest thing for him to get accustomed to other than the European players flopping a lot like soccer players. But even with the slight rule changes, you would understand why some of the international guys like Manu Ginobili, Patty Mills, Carlos Arroyo, Frank Nilakina, why some of these guys tend to outshine normally what they do in the NBA when it comes to time to be on that international stage. Because having a big-ass center just sit in the paint and having no defensive three second, while at the same time allowing that same center to goaltend would change the dynamics of the game a lot. And you're not even going to the perimeter yet, which you're telling guys before they even make a move, the ball would have to hit the floor. They would have to dribble off rip. American players are not accustomed to that. We've seen guys fake one direction, then, then go the other, then dribble. So to the Frank Nilakina Hive, best believe Olympic Frank will most likely be that only in Olympic play. It's not gonna really translate to the NBA and it's not gonna be that much of an anomaly that a foreign born player, that's pretty much a role player in the NBA is gonna be killing in the Olympics. That will pretty much begin to become the norm. As Adam Silver 
or should I say even going back as far as David Stern in his last at least 10 to 15 years of being commissioner, the NBA low-key has been investing a lot of money into developing players on an international level, helping them cultivate the talents that they already have. Because best believe all around the world, they do have the athleticism and the talent to have players that can make the NBA level, but they just don't have the infrastructure. And the NBA low-key has been developing that among other nations. And now it's starting to pay dividends to the point where the average U.S. fan starts to notice that a lot of the nicer players in the league right now tend to be foreign-born. You could look at even this year's MVP race. Number one was Jokic and number two was Embiid. So best believe none of this is a coincidence. And I will be touching base on this on my other channel, Orange Cookies. But just in short summary, the NBA is heavily invested on making sure the game becomes global. That's why you've seen a few years ago, the Sacramento Kings had a game in India. The Basketball League in Africa, led by Masai Ujiri, is kind of pushed to the forefront. Shit, even Mike Brown has a basketball camp in Nigeria. And apparently right now, Nigeria is a hub for a lot of basketball talent, especially guys headed towards the NBA, as we've seen from the 2020 draft. And some of you guys may not know, more prominent figures in the NBA, not necessarily the players or coaches, but major beat writers and NBA analysts, such as Doris Burke, get the responsibility of recruiting certain players into the NBA. For example, Doris Burke, a lot of people don't know, was responsible for Pascal Siakam. She went all the way out to his village to convince his pastor to let him play basketball. And unfortunate for his, uh, his priest, his priest was killed the week she was supposed to go out there. They had her going out deep into a lot of villages to recruit Pascal Siakam. So this is how deep these things run. And once again, a lot of these things are not by coincidence. When you see Adam Silver make references into a cross-border cup or a Champions League, sort of like the UEFA Soccer League, Champions League in Europe, none of these things are by coincidence. This is where the NBA is going. They want to develop leagues outside of the U.S., making sure that they're good and they can have some sort of international play that can promote the game on a more global stage. Remember, this is a more globalized world now. The more global the NBA could be, the more money that they can make. And at the end of the day, this is what it's all about. Since the NBA can't replicate the NFL in growth domestically in the U.S., they can at least beat them on the global stage and get to that bag first. That seems to be the play here. But I'll be covering this topic more in depth on my other channel, Orange Cookies, so you guys definitely be on the lookout for that. And for the Frank Nilakina Hive, I gotta stop chilling out with the Nicki Minaj Hive because you both toxic as fuck. But last but not least, my fellow Nick fans, I wanted to cover the Atlantic Division landscape as it will be one of the tougher divisions in the NBA, if not the toughest, from now till I could say the next three to four years. The only other division I could see that could be just as tough is the Pacific Division with the Phoenix Suns, the LA Clippers, the LA Lakers, and the Golden State Warriors. But we need to look more deep into our division as a few things changed, but the division remains just as tough. And low-key, the Atlantic Division has been a tough division ever since Kawhi Leonard got traded to the Raptors. We also seen in that same season the Philadelphia 76ers get Jimmy Butler onto their team along with Tobias Harris. 
So our division was already tough to begin with. And not to mention the Boston Celtics acquired Kyrie Irving about two seasons prior. So the landscape of that division was already shifting to be a lot more difficult. So looking at last season, four out of the five teams made the playoffs. Now for the Raptors, it's a little bit of a tricky situation. They were relocated to Tampa Bay and it kind of threw their season off a bit because for regular divisional games, they would have to travel further distances. So I don't really hold them too much to the record that they finished with for the 2020 to 21 season. It's kind of a dud for them. But I do expect the Raptors to be in the mix within the division. Now, first, I'm going to start off with the Philadelphia 76ers as they pretty much lost the leverage that they had to trade Ben Simmons and have the upper hand. Now teams know that they're at the desperate side of the trade because they have to begin to utilize Embiid's prime years a lot better than what they used to do because Embiid is not even a guarantee to stay healthy within the next upcoming years. And he's definitely going to qualify for a super max extension this season. So will he really extend with them knowing that Ben Simmons is pretty much an anchor that's dragging this team and keeping them from going up to the next level? And also with the Philadelphia 76ers, they have to ask themselves, is Doc Rivers the right coach for this team? A coach that's pretty much living off his 2008 reputation with the Boston Celtics, but for the most part has pretty much underachieved as a head coach in the NBA. He's coached a number of big name talents, but pretty much has come up short. You look at all the CP3 years with the Clippers. You look at the situation with Kawhi that played out last year with the Clippers. And this season, he's coached a bunch of big-name talents, but only has one ring to show for it. But their ownership is pretty much locked in for the amount of money they have to spend. They might not even get rid of Doc Rivers, as he's under a five-year deal. And if they fire him so quickly, they're going to owe him so much money. And they pretty much are locked into this roster for how much money is already guaranteed. Tobias Harris' contract is guaranteed until 2024. Same thing for Ben Simmons up until 2025. And of course, Embiid, they're going to look to extend him. So they have a lot of money already committed to this team. And I'm not sure how much more into the luxury tax is this ownership willing to go, especially if this Ben Simmons situation does not work out right, because he will be the anchor that's holding this team back from getting up to the next level. And when you take a look at Joel Embiid in his prime years, Whoever they trade Ben Simmons for is going to have to somewhat sort of line up with Embiid's prime years. They can't be too young where they're still chasing accolades, but they can't be too much of a vet by the time Embiid's end of his prime years kick in that this player is going to be too old to make a deep playoff run with Embiid. So it's kind of a tricky situation where they kind of have to not only trade Simmons, but trade Simmons for the right piece that can go along with Embiid's prime years with that timeline. It has to coincide. And to my fellow Knicks fans, I'm not sure if you guys remember during the second half of the season when we played the Philadelphia 76ers at the Garden, there was an overtime game. Embiid didn't play, but Ben Simmons was out there on the floor. And Philly kind of lucked up because I forgot who stepped up in their lineup and made a couple of big jump shots. But... I noticed that Ben Simmons having him on the floor during that overtime was a liability. He was not willing to take any shots. And I'm and I remember thinking, wow, 
this is going to be really awkward for Philly when they make their playoff run. And as we all know, we've seen how it played out. And what we know for sure is that due to Ben Simmons' flaws, Philly this season had to rely on Seth Curry to make a couple important perimeter shots. And last year, they relied on Alec Burks to do the same. And Philly cannot have another year of relying on those type of role players to make those big shots. We all know Danny Green is streaky as fuck. Maurice Tybal, they rely on him to make a couple of big jump shots. Tyrese Maxey, but these guys are not getting paid the big bucks like Ben Simmons to come up big in those situations. So we'll see how this plays out. Next up is the Boston Celtics, a team that's in the rebuilding stage and they don't even know it. Now Boston took their head coach who could not even manage all the personalities that was on the team when Kyrie Irving was there. And they made him president of basketball operations, which the main point of that job is to manage the personnel and make sure the personalities on that roster match and fit. And clearly him and Danny Age had different philosophies because the first move Brad Stevens made was making a trade, getting rid of Kimball Walker and getting Al Horford back. Now, as far as Danny Ainge, I believe the Boston Celtics did need to make a shakeup. Not only he played it way too safe, he kept on hoarding a bunch of draft picks and instead of moving on from them and trading them for assets, he basically sat on them, thus making his team stagnant. And a few situations that played out, especially with Isaiah Thomas, kind of left a stain from a lot of players throughout the league on what kind of reputation the Celtics had as far as how they treat their players. So it was not a major destination for upcoming free agents. And you can also look at how the situation played out with Kimball Walker. It seems like last year they rushed him too quickly to come back to play just in time for the bubble and he ended up getting re-injured and it even affected him into the following season and he could just never get right. So the Boston Celtics have a few funny ways they've handled certain situations and overall, they just needed a shakeup and a whole new look. But lucky for them, most of the NBA media is based on Boston. So they always paint that team in a good light. But the Celtics are still going to have a few questions to ask themselves. What are they going to do with Marcus Smart and his upcoming extension? And Evan Fonier, are they going to give him a brand new contract? Or are they just going to let him walk? So once again, this team is in rebuilding mode. And they don't even know it. And the media will never admit to it. Because a few seasons ago, they were very close into making the NBA Finals. But due to the fact that this team is not really a known destination among NBA players, I'm really going to have to put them in the same ranking as the Raptors as far as being relevant in the conference the next upcoming years. They'll be in the mix. But in order to go up to that next level, Brad Stevens is going to have to pull off a trade to get a really big piece to go there. Because once again, I don't see them being a destination for free agents. Now, next is the Brooklyn Nets, which will probably be the most relevant team in the conference. Of course, they have James Harden, age 31, and he will be coming up on an extension, possibly for the 2022-2023 season. So I guess next season, the Brooklyn Nets possibly going to be looking to extend James Harden past 2023. And now also looking at Kevin Durant, he will be age 32, Kyrie Irving, age 29, Joe Harris, age 29. And the reason why I'm mentioning some of these guys' age is that this season, one thing that kind of hindered this team is that they couldn't stay healthy at the same time. 
Now, very unfortunate for Kyrie, he stepped on, I believe, Giannis's leg in the playoffs. So that's why he was out. But Kevin Durant and James Harden, especially with that hamstring, Harden, they just couldn't stay healthy. And eventually, that ended up being the downfall of the Knicks. But low-key, the Bucks are really a great and good, solid team. There was not enough respect put on the Bucks. That is a real squad. They were down 0-2 in the series against Brooklyn, and they came back. The same thing in the finals. They were down 0-2, and they came back. So this team definitely deserves respect, but the Brooklyn Nets within our division will be the most relevant team. Unfortunately for them, it will look like they will lose out on Spencer Dinwiddie as the money and the age that he's at is going to be, he's going to be asking for a lot. And I don't think the difference between them signing Spencer Dinwiddie and them getting up to the next level is that much of a difference, especially the money that they could sign him for. It's not going to really sell more tickets or sell more jerseys. It's not going to really make that much of a difference. So I see them losing Dinwiddie to another team, possibly. Hopefully they can get something back in a signing trade. Who knows? But the main thing for the Brooklyn Nets is that can they stay healthy for an 82-game season? Do they need to have a little bit of load management? And what was the issue last season with Kevin Durant where they took him out of that game and quote unquote, they said it was due to the pandemic issues, which I don't really believe. He was out a lot longer than than the time frame it took for someone to recover from that sickness and then to get back into the court, go through quarantine and start playing again. Something didn't add up. And James Harden, he does have a lot of tread on his tires at age 31. Could he stay injury free? He's done in the past, but now he's entering a different phase in his career where he's getting older. But once again, guys are not really taking that much bumps. And what they're asking James Harden to do is a lot different. So he could actually pace himself next season. And of course, Kyrie Irving, he is injury prone. But relatively this season, he has kind of stayed injury free besides stepping on someone's ankle. But the Nets should be the favorites in the division to make it out and get into the finals but we'll see how long that lasts i believe this ship may come down a lot quicker than people think it will due to the fact that these guys might not be able to stay healthy at the same time for long periods of time i also want to touch base on the brooklyn nets bench that may be another issue besides the health of the starters for this team is that they don't have much scoring from the bench but once again, signing a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, the money that he's asking for or potentially asking for, he quote unquote said that he's asking for five years over 125, something like that. And he started off at that number. It might be too rich for the Brooklyn Nets taste, especially due to the fact that they are already on year three, dipping into that luxury tax of just having Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and all these guys on the roster. And how many years in a row are they planning on hitting over that luxury tax? Because there is a penalty the more years you bite into it in a row. So Spencer Dinwiddie, is the juice worth the squeeze with him? And also you look at guys like Blake Griffin off the bench, Bruce Brown, Tyler Johnson, Landry Shamit, Jeff Green. Some of these guys are going to have to make decisions on whether they're going to come back to this team or not. And what's going to be their price tag now the nets do have some bird rights on some of these guys 
but not all these guys are going to be willing to come back at that certain price point but once again the weaknesses of the nets is the starters health and also getting more scoring out of the bench i mean there's only so much you can do when a lot of your salary is dedicated towards your starters and last but not least the toronto raptors this team has a well-run organization a great leader in masai ujiri they just re-signed fred van vliet money wise they're locked into a great deal with a two-way player in og and Anobli. and somehow this year they ended up with the fourth overall pick so they're pretty much almost guaranteed another star to be added onto this team now some of the negatives with the raptors is that they're gonna have to make a decision on kyle lowry are they gonna give him an honorary contract sort of like what the mavericks do with all their vets that were part of that 2011 championship team dirk Nowinski, jj brea they gave him that sort of deal that said you know we appreciate you for helping us get that 2011 ring here's an extra two-year contract where you can earn some money off of it even though we know you're not in your prime years like you used to be or you're pretty much on your way out and we're just going to give you this bonus that's sort of the contract that kobe got the last time that he re-upped with the lakers so that's pretty much the situation that the raptors are in with kyle lowry right now but just looking at another major potential hole that's kind of really digging away at the raptors right now is that extension that they gave to pascal siakam because he's not quite living up to it pascal is pretty much locked in until 2024 where he's going to be making 35 million per year and it's still hard to judge him off of last season due to the fact that it was an unusual season due to the pandemic situation and the raptors being relocated but he's definitely going to have to prove himself this season especially coming off that bubble where he clearly had a breakdown and a meltdown in the playoffs he's gonna have to make up for it because if not it'll be basically almost three years in a row where we've seen pascal kind of not live up to his contract and pretty much the raptors will begin to start looking to move him but when the draft comes around later this month it's going to be interesting to see with the fourth overall pick what position are the Raptors going to choose? Because this fourth overall pick could potentially become Pascal's replacement. But at the end of the day, I still expect the Raptors to make a bounce back, especially coming off of last season. Because before the year ended, the Raptors were beginning to turn things around. I guess they got used to their travel schedule, which was a lot further distances than before. And I guess they got used to playing down in Tampa Bay. But mainly, the things that are going to stick out for the Raptors is how Pascal bounces back and what they do with Kyle Lowry's contract situation. So once again, my fellow Knicks fans, this is the landscape of the competition that we're up against in our own division. We're not even worried about the conference yet. This is just our own division in which we have to play each of these teams at least four times a year. So remaining competitive this season within our division is very important due to the fact that we're trying to recruit future potential free agents to the team so they can see at least we're headed in the right direction. So this is going to be the balancing act that we're going to have to participate in this offseason. We got to make enough moves where we're still in the mix, but we can't dig in too deep because in 2022, there's a lot of game-changing potential free agents. 
So let's keep this in mind. And just a reminder on draft night, Thursday, July 29th at 8.30, I will be going live. You guys can call in or hit up the group chat. Let me know what you think was going on with the team, what you think, what moves we need to do in the offseason. Just overall, drop your two cents and let me know what's good. Until next time, you guys stay safe. Peace.